Well, we have been over the past few weeks looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. Tonight we'll continue in that. And we started several weeks ago. And one of the things I started with, I started with the question, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Um, what what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, and we started with sort of the answer being probably more than he gets credit for. Uh, we oftentimes credit things to methods, um, people's strength, personality, things like that. But oftentimes uh, it's truly the work of God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then oftentimes the Holy Spirit probably does less than he gets credit for. Sometimes we we blame things on the Holy Spirit or we we say that the Spirit led me here when really probably the Spirit has not led us in that area. I've heard I've heard men uh, blame uh, sinful behavior that they wanted to indulge in on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we know that God is not a God of confusion and he would never lead anyone into sin. He cannot do that for he is holy. So the Holy Spirit does um, a very unique work, more than he gets credit for, less than he sometimes gets credit for. And we started with the premise that the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit being God himself, that he is every bit God, as much as the son is God, as much as the father is God, that the father is not the son. The son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the father. They are distinct personalities. But they are each God. Yet there is one God. Well, and we said that the Holy Spirit, most of what he does, his task is to manifest the presence of God in our day and time. Uh, He's been charged with that through history. In the Old Testament times, we've read about when the Holy Spirit would manifest the presence of God. He would do that uh, through men like Moses and David and others. We see this in, in the days of the early church, the Holy Spirit manifesting the presence of God. And he would do this when he, would, when he caused um, tongues of fire to appear above their heads. And it was to show that, that, the, the, that God was in fact doing this and starting this new work in the church. We also know that the Holy Spirit has not ceased in his activity even today. This is not he his work is not relegated to those people then. His work and we better we better pray that his work is continuing on today. That he is still manifesting his presence, God's presence among us today. And we long for it. As Baptists, we Sometimes don't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to get fanatical and begin to speak of tongues and things like that. But uh, we also um, talk, I think, way too little about the Holy Spirit. We must, we must, we must come to an understanding of his role. If he is fully God, then he is also worthy of all of our worship and our praise. And we better find out as much as we can what the Bible has given us about the Holy Spirit. So tonight, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests the presence of God is by unifying, by unifying, by bringing unity, by pouring love into the hearts of believers, those who are the children of God, bringing us together. And I want us to walk through ways that we see this in Scripture. Uh, First, if you will, turn to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And let's begin in verse 14. Acts 2, 14 through 18. In the days of the early church. Jesus has 
He'd been crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead. He has ascended back to the Father. And now the task of launching the church and continuing the work. Remember, Jesus told those apostles, you will do greater things than even I have done. It's been charged to them. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter standing up to preach the, the sermon at Pentecost. And what has happened is they've spoken in tongues prior to this. And men around began to say, well, what's this foolishness that we hear from them? They're drunk. They're drunk with wine. And here we pick up in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these, this is him quoting Joel here. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, what's unique about this in the coming of the Holy Spirit here at the at Pentecost is he, there's a real emphasis here on him coming not to an individual but coming to a community. You remember the days of Moses? Moses was the one representative and Moses would go and he would meet with God on the mountain and the people would all be left out and they would all long for Moses to come and sometimes be afraid for him to come. He would come out of the presence of God and his face would be a glow because he had been there. They were afraid of that, but they didn't receive what he received. In those days, Largely, God revealed himself to an individual and worked through an individual. But here in Acts chapter two, in the birth of the church, the spirit comes not to an individual, but to a community, a community of believers. And this is the launching of the church. This fulfillment of prophecy is an emphasis on community, community of believers. Well, if you go on, you move a little forward into Acts chapter two. And you go down to uh, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves. This is after the 3000 have come to know the Lord when Peter preached. And all of a sudden there's this community. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, what's that word? Together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. There have been those that have taught that um, here that the, the church, when they came together, they kind of entered into a commune together, that everything became common property together and and no one really owned anything. And, and they just sort of lived off of this together. And there have been those 
in current days as well as past days who have then com- compared this to what goes on with these cults who live in these communities, these closed communities together where oftentimes men have multiple wives and you don't really know what goes on inside the fence in this in this community together. But that's not what's going on here. They're not just bringing all their property together and saying we relinquish everything. We know this because later on in chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira want to want to be seen by others who are selling property at their own will. And so they sell some property. But rather than giving all the money and saying this is all the money, they gave only a portion of the money they received for the property. But they said this is what the property sold for. And they lied to the Holy Spirit and God killed them for lying to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that they couldn't own property anymore or have distinct lives. They could. And they did. But they were voluntarily unified. The Holy Spirit brought them together. The Holy Spirit caused them to get to come together and to look and to see brothers and sisters who were in need and moved by the Holy Spirit. The love of God, Romans 5, 5, poured into their hearts, moved them to sell possessions from time to time and give to others who were in need. This is what the work of the Holy Spirit does. This is the birth of the church rather than being a sort of scattered people. And they would be scattered later through Acts because of persecution that would come. But the Holy Spirit, wherever the church would go, wherever Christians would go, would from that day forward unify Christians together in local pockets, local areas where they would come together and they would do life together. And that's what makes this so special, what we do on Sunday nights. Isn't there just a different feel in here on Sunday nights? It's one of those things. I love Sunday mornings, and I think I shared this, this with you last week. I love Sunday mornings, but I just feel so much more comfortable in here on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights. Uh, not that I don't love the people that fill these chairs on Sunday morning, because I do. But there is just a unity and a bond that is in this room on Sunday nights, knowing that we love one another and we care for one another. And we are striving toward the same mission to build the kingdom of God. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It brings a unifying. He brings a unifying work. He manifests the presence of God by doing that. Throughout the church age, men like Paul uh, have known that the source of continued and growing unity is the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul, Paul never says, be unified. What he oftentimes says is maintain the unity. But he rarely, if, if ever, and I, don't, I can't make a definitive statement, but he doesn't give the command to be unified. You ever tried to be unified with somebody in your own strength? That doesn't always work out too well, does it? We're going to come together. We're going to be unified. You know, then you have to go on a road trip with them. You, know? you can't even agree on where to eat dinner or, or whatever the case may be. And uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse, verses 11 through 14. 
Second Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. And Paul here summing up his letter to the Corinthians, which, by the way, the church at Corinth was one of the most dysfunctional churches that Paul ever had anything to do with. There was rampant sin in this church. And he closes out this second letter to them saying, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And then look at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Verse 14 is a Trinitarian verse. You don't ever see the word Trinity in Scripture, but oftentimes you see the Trinity showing up in verses. And in this verse, we see that there is the grace attributed to who? Jesus Christ. We see love attributed to who? God the Father. Remember I told you that oftentimes when Scripture refers simply just to big G God, it's oftentimes talking about the Father. But then who's the fellowship? Yeah, the Holy Spirit gets the credit for the fellowship. We see that this is a very distinct ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the Trinity works in tandem, works together. But the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to bring fellowship, to bring unity. Keep going through your New Testament and go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Again, Paul here writes, from prison nonetheless, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, in this verse, um, you come to my translation says, if there is any participation in the spirit. Does anybody else have a different word there in your, your translation? Okay, encouragement is probably back with Christ. But if you go forward, any participation in the spirit, different word there for participation, fellowship, it can be translated fellowship. If there's any fellowship. Now, what Paul's doing here, he's not saying, you know, there may or may not be any encouragement in Christ. There may or may not be any fellowship in the spirit. But if there is complete my joy by being like minded. No, what he's saying is, since there is, since this is true, since there is fellowship in the spirit, there's this work here of the Holy Spirit that brings fellowship. And he's writing to them in Philippi and he's saying, because the Holy Spirit is already working in you to bring you together, to pour his love within you, to change what you love and how you love, then Complete my joy and be of like mind and come together. Now, when we read verses like this, one of the questions that I have always I've always struggled with. Does this mean that we should always just regardless get along about everything? No. If someone were to come and stand in this pulpit, if if 
next week I come into this pulpit and tell you, you know what? I've had a change of heart. I've been reading some books this week. I've been reading some blogs and and I've come to find out that that only part of the Bible is true. There's some sections that that we God really didn't write. And so let me just highlight for you what those sections are and what those sections aren't. At that moment, your job is not to say, you know what? Paul said, let's be of like mind. So we don't want to say anything. We're just going to let him be and we're we're going to all get along. That's chaos, isn't it? It validates one of the very first premises of Scripture. One of the very first precepts is that that all Scripture is inspired by God, that it is the very word of God. And so if I come to you and tell you something else, the apostles said, if we or an angel or anybody else comes and preaches another gospel to you. Have nothing to do with them. Let them be a curse. So we're not always just to say, well, you know, we're just going to get along. There comes a point where we have to say you're wrong. You're in sin. That's a wrong direction. Sometimes I've heard people say, we just need to be unified. And what they're what they're saying is, we just need to get along. It really doesn't matter which direction we're going. We just need to all get along. And and, and that's us trying to create unity. But as we, as the people of God, who have had the Holy Spirit move into our lives, as we submit to him and submit to the word of God, we will be unified as the outpouring of his work in our lives. We, unity at any cost is not true unity. Unity has to do with going in the same direction that is the right direction together. We can be unified and be totally going in the wrong direction or be going in multiple directions. But we must be unified in the spirit around God's word. So here he says to them, since there is this fellowship in the spirit, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So don't get confused that we are to always just let people say or do whatever they want. Um, go to Ephesians. Turn over just a little more in your or, or turn backwards. I'm sorry. Uh, behind Philippians. Back to Ephesians chapter two. Verses 18 through 22, Ephesians two. Here, Paul, uh, continuing in this work of the Holy Spirit that brings unity. Um, he's now talking about Gentiles. Uh, who have converted to Christianity. And he's talking about Messianic Jews who have come to see that Jesus truly was the Messiah. How did these two groups get along? How does, how does someone who is, was formerly outside of the chosen people of God, who's been brought in through Christ, and how does someone who, who is part of the nation that was chosen by God, who has come to see Jesus as the true Messiah, how did they get along? Well, Ephesians two eighteen through 22. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. It's the spirit there that brings unity. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Um, We've got to we've got to realize that we are being built. We're being built as individuals. I pray all the time and say to you all the time that God continue the, the conforming work in our lives, conform us to the image of Christ. But also we need to realize that as a church, as a faith family, that we're also being built together. Uh, as a as a faith family, we're being built into the living temple of God. Uh, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter four, verse three. Ephesians four, verse three. He's talking about the unity in the body of Christ, and he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now. It's important there. I've already mentioned this, but it's important to notice that word maintain. If you're maintaining something, it is a clue that you had nothing to do with creating it. Um, I'm maintaining. In, in a lot of ways, the pastoral role of this church, but I am very aware that there have been there have been saints before me that have stood in maybe not this particular pulpit, this platform, but that have stood in the pulpit of Abner Creek Baptist Church and preached faithfully. I'm very well aware that there are saints who have filled the pews for years and years and 180 years. Who this thing is not starting with me. I've been charged with the task of maintaining this, maintaining this as God's representative here. You've been charged with the task of maintaining the bond of peace, the fellowship here, but you're not creating it. We're not creating it. We're, we're not coming in here and saying if, if we're going to be unified, you know, it's really just up to us to make it happen. It's up to us to create this thing. We can't do that. Because if left to ourselves without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will quickly turn on one another. I mean, in a heartbeat, we will disagree with one another on how this should be done or how that should be done. A lot of personal preferences will get in the way. And if we give in to that and start walking in the flesh, we'll disagree and turn on one another in a heartbeat. But if each one of us will individually say, God, help me to walk in in the spirit today. Help me to submit to you today. Help me to walk not in my own strength, but in your leading today. Then as each of us do that, then we're maintaining the unity that God has created in this place. You wouldn't think that people with different giftedness and gifted strengths or different different strengths would uh, would get along very well. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, turn, if you will, to back to First Corinthians, chapter 12. First Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 21 through 26.
Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you would think that different skill sets, different giftedness, people that come together with all sorts of different strengths and giftedness, that we wouldn't get along very well. But here, this teaches that the Spirit gives these gifts to every one of us who are true children of God, and He does it so that we all fit together as one body. We can't say to one another, we just, we just don't need you. We, we can't use you here. You know, I heard just this past week, I shared that with you, of um, a man going into his company, been there for 30 some odd years, worked just diligently. This particular man had gone in an hour early without pay for all of those 30 years because he loved his job. And one morning he walked in and before he could get to where he was going in the plant, they called him into the office and they said to him, we just don't need you. And we, we, kind of, we kind of curl back from that. But you know what? You know what will, will never be said of a church of Christ? It will never be said that a true child of God would ever hear those words in a church. We just don't need you. It may be that we don't need more people in a certain area. But every single person that is a member of a church should not just sit in a seat, but should go to work using the giftedness that God has given them. We've all got a place to serve. We've all got somewhere that God is calling us to. And when we all step up and begin to employ those, we become a much more unified church. If I... uh, I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, it's no secret. Drink a lot of um, kind of switch into hot tea a little bit, like some hot tea. If I take that coffee mug that has that little handle on the side and I take it and I just hold it with one finger and that's piping hot coffee. And I'm standing there and I'm trying to walk from the house over to the shack and go into my office over there and study. And the dog's jumping at my legs and I'm going down steps and up steps How stable is that cup going to be? Not very. I've got more than one pair of pants that have got that stain on it, okay? But if I take more than that one finger and I put a couple of fingers in there and I wrap that thumb through it and I use those other fingers to brace the cup, how stable is that cup now? Much more stable. I may still spill it. But it's a whole lot better off than it was when it was one finger. And that's a great picture of what it is in the church when just 20% of the people do all the work. It's a one finger church holding the coffee cup, trying not to spill it with all their might. But when all of us come together and we grab the handle 
and we carry the thing together, we may still have some spills here and there, but we will be so much better. The Spirit has given us gifts and charged us with the task to get in the game in the service of his kingdom. We're unified around that. Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. This will be the last place I'll have you turn tonight. Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. Verse 19, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. The list goes on from there. The point I want to make to you is these are the works of the flesh. I want you to pay close attention in the context of our conversation tonight. The Holy Spirit brings unity. The works of the flesh are things like envy, division, dissension, jealousy. Those are the works of the flesh. But if you go forward and you go to verse 22, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit exists to bring unity. And when we, when we walk in the flesh, that's when we get in trouble and we see division crop, creep up in the church. We see people get angry with one another. I'm not talking about when someone's in sin and we try to correct that. I'm saying when personal preferences get involved, we're beginning to walk in the flesh and we're saying, but this is what feels good to me. This is what I have always been accustomed to. This is what I would like to see happen. What does that say? I, I, I. It's the work of the flesh. It's natural if someone else comes along and they also are in the flesh, but they have differing opinions. They will say, no, but I would like this and I would like that. It's the work of the flesh. But when you and I are submitted to God and walking in the power of the spirit, he will produce a unity within us. One of the one of the great things that I just want to brag on you just a little bit tonight. Um, I realize that for a lot of you. The style of music that we do is probably not your cup of tea. Um, there's some of you, I mean, there's a lot of you that love it. But there's probably some of you that, you know, you'd prefer that we do something else. But you know what I've seen in you? I've seen in so many of you. You have said, if God would use that to reach other people for his name, it doesn't matter what I want. I can listen to it. I can participate in it. I look around at some of the senior saints in this room. And, and I just want to tell you from a pastor's perspective, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for that. Um, we sang that hymn tonight. And I couldn't help but to think that's the hymn that it, when, I, when I die, you know, I want that hymn sang at my funeral. I love hymns. I love some of the 
rich doctrine and the theology in those hymns. But we can't we, we can also say we don't want to we don't want to give the credit all to the, the music or this or that work of the Holy Spirit here. But you can't argue with the fact that we've got people coming in these doors every single week that have never been here. We have visitors every single week. I mean, there's blue cards we're having to follow up with every single week. We're having people join this church because they're seeing an authentic move of God here. And largely, a lot of it is due to the fact that you have said it is not about what I want. It is about God getting glory. And I just want to say thank you for that. And that's a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit in this congregation. Um, that being said, if the Holy Spirit produces unity, that when, when the Holy Spirit is working strongly in a church to manifest God's presence, one evidence will be a beautiful harmony in the church community and overflowing love for one another. And um, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I think I'm sensing in our congregation a real sense of unity, a, a real sense of love for one another. And Nobody gets the credit for that other than God producing within us his own love, love for for us, love for his children. Amen. Amen. We should pray for and long for more unity, more work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for working in our midst. God, we don't want to take for granted what you're doing. We don't want to. We don't want to relegate that or give credit where credit is not due. We want to stop right now and just say that what we are seeing all around us, we can't produce that. You and you alone deserve the credit and the glory for what you're doing here. God, I thank you from a pastoral perspective what I see in the lives of these believers I thank you for their submission to you and their their willingness to walk in your spirit. And God, I pray in the days to come, God, I long for a greater move of your spirit. Not in some arbitrary, fanciful way, in some way that we really can't even define. But God, we want to see you do what you do through the person of the Holy Spirit. You would empower us. You would teach us. God, that you would reveal to us. God, that you would unify us. And God, that we would say more and more and more that there's a real sense of the Spirit moving here. God, I hear people talk about they came into a room and they just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God, we do. We pray for your power to be so strong that that that, that could even be said. But God, more than just this feeling, God, I pray that you would show up in real tangible ways that we can see and touch and put our hands on. And God, that we would give you all of the glory. Lord, thank you for for what you're doing here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.